podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, May the 2nd. Hope you all had a nice bank holiday weekend. If you indeed did have a holiday weekend, obviously some people did not, but we were lucky enough to have one and the weather was decent, so we were all happy. We had another mental weekend in the Premier League this past weekend, starting with Crystal Palace 4, West Ham 3. A game that makes no sense because West Ham were awful. Crystal Palace were excellent. And somehow West Ham almost got something from the game. Thomas Suchek put them one up on nine minutes. Jordan Ayew equalised on 15. Wolf Zaha put Palace 2-1 up on 20. Jeff Schlupp put them 3-1 up. On 30, robbing the ball from Thomas Suchek, who went from hero to villain quite quickly. But then Suchek made amends. His flick on was met by Mikel Antonio at the back post, and it was 3-2. And we went in at half-time, 3-2, Palace having dominated, West Ham having not done anything except look good from set pieces. And the second half was more of the same. Palace dominated the ball, had all the chances, all the opportunities. Ebri Chiesi put them 4-2 up from the penalty spot on 66 minutes after he himself was fouled. But then Naif Agard scores for West Ham on 72. It's horrendous, horrendous stuff from Palace. Sam Johnston, so passive in terms of his command of the area. A real concern for them moving forward, something they're going to have to address. They managed to hold on for the win, but this should have been comfortable for Palace. There's no excuse for them conceding three goals here. Now, they'll take the win and they'll be thrilled. And they're absolutely safe. They will be in the Premier League next season. And they have now moved above Chelsea in the table. They are on 40 points from 34 games, a point clear of Chelsea. But Chelsea do have two games in hand. Now, on the flip side, Chelsea are managed by Frank Lampard. So two games in hand probably doesn't mean a whole lot. But Palace will be thrilled when they got rid of Vieira, it was a move to ensure their survival. And I think Vieira probably kept them up anyway. But Roy has done well since taking over. Three wins, a draw, and only one defeat. Sorry, four wins, a draw, and only one defeat from his six games in charge. They're going to be very, very happy with how this has gone. And they can now start making real plans for the summer in terms of who they'll bring in as manager and what players they will be looking for. They will once again be shopping with a Premier League budget. So congrats to Palace. It's nice to have Palace in the league. I, I enjoy Crystal Palace. They've got some of the best fans in the stadium, in the country. 
I think Selhurst Park is one of the best stadiums in the country, certainly one of the best atmospheres in the country. I know some people will say, oh, well, the, the amenities and the actual structures aren't the best, but it's an old-school stadium, and it has that old-school charm. And I've always loved Selhurst Park, and at some point I'm sure they'll move on, or they'll tear it down and rebuild it step by step, but it's a great place to go and watch a game of football. Uh, For West Ham, they are 15th. They are four points outside the relegation zone. Admittedly, they have a game in hand over the teams above and below them, but they don't really fill you with confidence. And when you look at their last five, it's not easy by any stretch. Not easy by any stretch. They have City next, away. They're going to get walloped. Then they have Manchester United at home. Late kickoff on a Sunday. I wouldn't expect them to get three points from that one. Then they go to Brentford. Now, they could win that one. The last two, though, in one way you'd look at them and say, oh, well, there's two games they can win. But on the other side, there are also two games against teams scrapping for their lives. Leeds home, Leicester away. A lot could go on those games. They've also got the distraction of the Conference League. So I I think it's quite easy to see West Ham, especially with who their next two games are against, Getting dragged back into that mess. I do think they'll stay up. And I think their path to staying up is certainly clearer than those below them. Because they've got those four extra points. But if I'm a West Ham fan, I'm probably still quite worried about this. It's another really poor performance. The scoreline flattered them hugely. They looked leggy, they looked lost, they didn't look like they had much in the way of a structured attacking plan. Defensively, once Zuma went off, they were absolutely all over the place. Didn't really understand the decision to bring on Ogbonna when Zuma went off, because it meant Agard having to play as the right side centre-back and not a position he's accustomed to. You had Tilo Carrere sitting on the bench. Clearly the better option and the better defender at this point. Bizarre from Moyes. But they got what they deserved from that game, which was nothing. Uh, Moving on. We had two games at 3pm. So I decided to watch Brentford versus Forest because I saw the Brighton team and thought, oh, they're after resting, you know, their, their three best players. Caicedo, McAllister, Matoma. You know, it probably ends 1-0 or something. Uh, Brighton 6, Wolves 0. Uh, Dennis Undav put them 1 up on 6 minutes. Pascal Grouse made it 2 on 13. He then made it 3 on 26. Then Danny Welbeck scored on 39. 4-0 at half time. Welbeck scores again 3 minutes into the second half. And then Undev wraps it up on 66. There was a moment in this game where I really did feel sorry for Wolves and for their players. 
on 65 minutes, Matoma had already come on for Welbeck. And Buenanote had come on for March. And Brighton were really starting to hum. 5-0 up, starting to hum. 65 minutes, the Wolves players had to look at the sideline and see Caicedo and McAllister coming on. And I reckon it threw them because a minute later, they make an absolute mess of themselves. Undav sneaks in. It's a gorgeous chip to make it 6-0, but I reckon their heads were gone from Caicedo and McAllister coming on. Uh, From there, it really could have been anything. Um, Gilmore almost scored. Stupinen almost scored. Caicedo almost scored. Wolves didn't really present much of a fight at any point. They were just shell-shocked from the shellacking they got in the first 26 minutes. Outstanding performance from Brighton. Great win. Eighth in the league. Two points behind Villa and Spurs with three games in hand on both sides. They're four points behind Liverpool with two games in hand. And maybe it's them who makes the Europa League along with Liverpool this year. Maybe it is them. Now, the running is not easy, but there's winnable games there. And the football they play is unlike anything else in the league. They are sensational to watch. For Wolves, they're going to be okay. They've got 37 points. They're probably safe as is. They've got four games left. Now, the next two and the last one are hard. They've got Villa at home. That's going to be tough. Then they go to Manchester United. We wouldn't expect them to get anything there. Then they play Everton at home. And I have a feeling they'll want to end their season on a high with a win at home. Especially as they'd be coming off three straight defeats in all likelihood. And they play Arsenal in the last game. They might just feel like they need to get something to confirm their survival in the division. So I think they'll win that game. I think they'll stay up comfortably enough. I think they'll end up on 40 points. But this was this was an abomination at the weekend. I, I did watch, like I said, uh, Brentford versus Forest. Um, it was a strange game of football. Uh, Danilo puts Forest one up on the stroke of half time. Bit of a scrappy goal, set piece, ball bounces to him. And he finishes well. Forrest looked like they were going to win this game. But Steve Cooper's in game management here was shocking. So I've backed Steve Cooper all season long and said that I think he just needs to be given time. But I didn't understand any of his changes here. He brings on Andre Ayew as his first sub, who then gets booked two minutes later. Now, Andre Ayew hasn't been good in years. I didn't understand why Forrest signed him to begin with. He has not been good in years. But he brings him on as his first sub off the bench. Now, I know Awani wasn't having a great game, but that was not the change to make. His next change was to bring on Czech Coyote for Brennan Johnson. Coyote has been 
in and out of the team because of injuries, hasn't played particularly well. And this substitution, along with the Iwani substitution, meant they had no outball. I know Johnson needed to go off because he had a knock, but you didn't have to bring on a defensive midfielder. On your bench, you had Sam Surridge and Emmanuel Dennis and Jesse Lingard. They should have been the players brought on, especially Lingard. If you wanted to bring Johnson off and remove the striker, you could bring Lingard on in midfield. Now, because he's made those two changes as individual changes, he now only has one substitution left. And he's weakened his team twice with the changes that he's made. 82 minutes, Brentford win a free kick. Edge of the area. It is coaching 101. Do not make a substitution when defending a set piece. Again, he makes one change. He brings off Mangala, who was outstanding, and brings on Ryan Yates. He is now out of substitutions to make. He cannot make another change. He has wasted the opportunity to make five subs by making three in individual slots. And Brentford score from the free kick because there's uncertainty at what everybody's meant to be doing. Then Danilo gets injured. And because he's wasted his three substitutions, or his three substitution windows, I should say, he doesn't have the opportunity to make another change. So they have to finish the game with 10 men. And now they've got no outlet because he took off a one E and Johnson went off and he didn't replace them with forward players. He replaced them with a defensive midfielder who's more suited to playing centre-back now and a nothing player who hasn't been good in years. And Brentford just pile on the pressure and Josh De Silva scores on 94 minutes. Steve Cooper cost his team the points here. And that's massive because this was a game that they could have won, which would have given them some real breathing room at the bottom. Instead, they get nothing for all their effort. So they're third from bottom. Level on points with both Leicester and Leeds, but they have a worse goal difference. A point ahead of Everton, but again, they have a worse goal difference. They've got four games left. Southampton at home is now a must, must win. Then they have to go to Chelsea, and I think they have to get something there. Then they play Arsenal. You wouldn't expect them to get anything from that, even though it's at home. And then it's Crystal Palace on the final day, and it might be a saving grace because Palace might be safe. Oh, sorry, Palace are safe and might not really turn up. Palace might phone it in on the final day. But one point on Saturday would have made a huge difference. Three would have been enormous for them. Three might well have been the difference between going into that last game needing something and potentially already being safe. Because... 
if you look at the teams around them, it's hard to see them getting six points. So had they beaten Brentford, a win over Southampton might actually have kept them up. That might have been enough. Such poor management. Such poor management from Steve Cooper in that game. Uh, For Brentford, they're ninth. They are going to be a top half finisher. They have 50 points from their 34 games. Uh, They're five points clear of Fulham in 10th, but Fulham have a game in hand. But I do expect them to finish above Fulham. They are going to finish above Crystal Palace. They are going to finish above Chelsea. They're 11 points clear of Chelsea. Admittedly, Chelsea have two games in hand, but does anyone think Chelsea are going to take 11 points more? And by the way, Chelsea have a significantly worse goal difference. So Chelsea would need to take 12 points more than Brentford across their remaining six games to Brentford's four. Just not happening. Uh, Brentford will be a top-half team in the end-of-season table. We move then into Sunday, and we'll start at Old Trafford. Manchester United 1, Aston Villa 0, Bruno Fernandes with the only goal of the game, largely as a result of some of the worst defending you'll see from Alex Moreno. But United were good value for the win. They were undoubtedly the better team. It took a couple of great saves from Emi Martinez to keep Villa in the game. And credit to United, it's a, it's a good win. It keeps them in the top four. They are fourth, two points behind the tune. They do have a game in hand. They've now won four of their last five. So they're going to be a top four finisher without doubt. They're seven points clear of Liverpool and they have a game in hand and they have an easy run in. So United are going to finish in the top four. For Villa, it ends their 10 game unbeaten streak. It ends their run of scoring in every game under Unai Emery. But it was going to end eventually. The turnaround is still the turnaround. And it's been really, really impressive. And everybody should be should be looking at Villa as a team that will cause problems next season. And will be a real force next season. Not for top four, I don't think. But I think they'll be a real force all season long for a European spot. Even if the league gets stronger, which it should. Um... Villa are still well in the mix for a European spot this season, and I still think they will get a European spot this season over Spurs because I just don't trust Spurs at all. You just don't know what Spurs will turn up. Four games left for Villa. All they really have to do is do better than Spurs. So if we look at their four games, it could well come down to the meeting at Villa Park on May 13th. Villa's is tough. They go to Wolves. I back them to win. They get Spurs at home. I back them to win. I think they might get a point at Anfield. Brighton on the final day is a big one as well because Brighton will be pushing for a European spot themselves. Um, Spurs last four. Palace at home, they should win. Palace, to be fair, Spurs have the easier running. But I just don't trust them. I don't trust them to beat Palace. I don't trust them to beat Brentford. I don't really trust them to go and beat Leeds either. Now, they might they might turn around and win three and draw one. You never know. It would be very Spurs to do it because they're so unpredictable. But I don't know. Just watching them play, they're good in spurts. And when they do turn it on, they can cut teams open. But you look at some of the results this season, like 
the Southampton game, the Bournemouth game, the Everton game. One up, game over, and they just, you know, allow Michael Keane to shoot from there. Losing the Wolves 1-0. Losing the Sheffield United. The walloping they took at Leicester. It's very hard to trust a team with these kind of results on their resume. Um, moving on. The next game up on Sunday. Fulham 1, Manchester City 2. Haaland scores from the penalty spot on three minutes. It's his 34th goal of the season. 27th non-penalty goal, uh, which is an important distinction to make because, you know, when you look at the fact that Salah broke the record with 32 non-penalty goals, Suarez, oh no, Salah had one penalty goal that season. Uh, Suarez got 31 with no penalty goals. It does just show that, like, yes, he is going to be the record breaker, but it's not an unprecedented thing considering the amount of penalties he scored. Uh, he's now tied, I think, with Shearer and Kevin Phillips, but they played 42-game seasons as opposed to the 38-game season now. Uh, he is going to break the record, and, and he will deserve it. But do just factor in the penalties, because I do think non-penalty goals is a better way to judge forward players. Carlos Finicius scored on 15 minutes. A really good finish, to be fair to him. Uh, but then Julian Alvarez scored a worldie on 36 minutes. And from there, it kind of felt like City were playing with their food, like they could have got a third and a fourth. Bernd Leno made at least three great saves in this game to keep City out. It did feel like City had mo- multiple levels to go up, but they get the win and that's all they need. Uh, they now sit top. Right now, they sit top, a point clear of Arsenal, 14 goals better off. They've scored six more. They've conceded eight less. And they have a game in hand. So that's how the league table sits right now. Um, For Fulham, they're 10th. They'll be thrilled. They'll be absolutely thrilled. If you'd have handed them 17th, staying up on goal difference before the season began, they would have snatched your hands off. To be comfortable in mid-table, 45 goals scored. 45 goals conceded, 45 points. Marco Silva has done a brilliant job, an absolutely brilliant job and should get consideration for Manager of the Year. Bournemouth 4, Leeds 1. Jefferson Lerma with an absolute peach on 20. Jefferson Lerma again on 24. Patrick Bamford pulled one back. Great cross by Nonto, good header by Bamford. Solanke made it 3. On 41, Leeds' defence was catastrophic. And Anton Semenyo made it four on 91 minutes to wrap it up. Um, Leeds had chances in this game. Neto made a couple of great saves, but it's the usual suspects letting Leeds down. I mean, Luke Ayling has another absolute shocker. Liam Cooper has another absolute shocker. And Ilan Melier has an absolute shocker. And the the if if someone ever asks you who doesn't you know who who kind of would have a passing interest in football but doesn't follow it closely and wouldn't know a lot of the the phrases, if someone ever asks you what does it mean for a goalkeeper to flap it across, just show them the second Jefferson Lerma goal 
in this game. It is absolutely abysmal. That kid is 6-6. And he's hopeless in the air. Absolutely hopeless. If Leeds can get 40 million off somebody, if Leeds can get 30 million off somebody this summer, they should take it and run. It will be a robbery. Um, We'll come back to Leeds later in the show. Bournemouth are going to be safe. Bournemouth are pretty much safe now. They have 39 points. They are level on points with Chelsea. They're level on points with Chelsea. Now, Chelsea have two games in hand, admittedly. But Bournemouth are going to be Premier League next season. And you have to give massive credit to Gary O'Neill. I think you have to give massive credit to the new ownership who came in, put their money on the table and enabled a talent upgrade. Brought in some good players who've played good roles, important roles in keeping them up. And they're going to be well set up for next season as well because Zabarni hasn't played, but he'll be good to go next year. Hamid Traore, Hamid Jr., he hasn't barely played. He'll be good to go next season. I assume they'll keep Vigne. Oatara looks a real player, and you'd imagine next season with preseason under his belt and a bit more maturity to his game, he'll be a weapon for them. There's a lot of talent in that squad. So a lot of championship in that squad. They do need to continue to build. And I've said it before, I don't know if Gary O'Neill is the guy for the long term, but you've got to give him next season without question. An outstanding, an outstanding turnaround. Because he took over a mess when Scotty Tuchel's got himself sacked for slagging off. Well, everybody really. And it looked like a lost cause at that point. It really did. Uh, they played four games. They beat Stephen Gerrard's Villa, which is, you know, a bit of fool's gold. Then they got battered by City, Arsenal, Liverpool. But then O'Neill took them on a six-game unbeaten run where they took ten points. And that gave them something to believe in. And they went from 17th to 10th. Then they did have a bad run. There's no question they had a bad run. They lost 9 of 11 with only one win. That came over Everton, who they also beat in the Cup at the same time. But everybody beat Everton under Frank. And then they started to to turn things around. Draw with Newcastle, went to Wolves and won. Lost to City, no harm there, but gave Arsenal a real scare. Then they beat Liverpool. Then they lost to Villa. No shame there. Beat Fulham at home. Lost to Brighton. No shame. But they've won four of the last five. Beat Leicester. Beat Spurs. Both away from home. Beat Southampton. Away from home. And then Wallop leads. And I think you have to be hugely impressed by the resiliency. I think it's an amazing achievement for them. Because I've said it all season. I thought they'd go. But they have really fought to stay in this division. And like I say, I think they've done really well in terms of the recruitment, especially in the January market. Um, Well, mostly in the January market. They didn't do enough in the summer. But Vigne, Hamid Traore, 
Zerbani, Semenyo, Anuatara. That is really good business. That's really aggressive for January. You're talking about a 90 million commitment in that January if they stay up. Oatara, 20 million. Zerbani, about 25. Semenyo was 10. That gets us to 55 million. Um, I think Hamatrore is 25 if they stay up. So that gets to 70. Sorry, it's about 85 million because Ingvenia is about 15 million. 85 million of a commitment if they stay up. Really, really impressive. And, and all young players with a lot of improvement ahead of them. Even in the summer, Sinisi, I think he's been pretty good. I think he's had some rough moments, but I think he's been pretty good. Neto on a free, tremendous business. Tavernier has had a good season. He's had some injuries, but he's had a good season. He's come up with a lot of big goals for them. And Joe Rothwell, injury-plagued season, but when he's played, he's actually been he's been good, as expected, because he was the best midfielder in the championship last season, for my money. Ryan Fredericks I wouldn't be keen on, but, you know, they were stuck for right back. He was someone that uh, Scott Parker knew, so he went for him. I would imagine right back will feature highly on their list of wants for the uh, for the summer. Um, credit to them. Tremendous. 39 points. Four games left. They can put their feet up. They get Chelsea next. If they could beat Chelsea at home, imagine if Bournemouth finished above Chelsea. That would be incredible theatre. Then they go to Palace. Then they play United. And then Everton on the final day. I wouldn't put it past them to go and win at Goodison. I just wouldn't. Um, for Leeds, this is another catastrophic result. Um, they're, they're 17th. They're really in trouble. Their last four games, City away, Newcastle home, West Ham away, Spurs home. And I don't know that I'd back them to take a single point. Uh, let's move on. Another wild game. Newcastle 3, Southampton 1. Saints go one up through Stuart Armstrong on 41 minutes. Newcastle were awful in the first half, but the second half, Newcastle were fantastic. Uh, Wilson scores on 54. He then has a goal disallowed. Uh, Then Theo Walcott puts through his own net. And then Wilson wraps it up on 81. Newcastle rampant in the second half. Newcastle are going to be a top four team. They're nine points clear of Liverpool. Same number of games played. Newcastle are going to be a top four team this season. Well ahead of schedule, so congrats to Eddie Howe. He's done a done a great job and is certainly going to be a candidate, I think, as well for manager of the year. I think Gamerish for me is player of the year. Sven Botman's been the best defender in the league. Uh Sven Botman's header was what led to the uh wall caught own goal in that game, but defensively he's just been he's been magnificent for them this year and I we had to listen to all the nonsense about Ruben Diaz when he came into City's team and marginally improved them defensively. Uh, Botman has hugely improved Newcastle and we don't hear a word of it. If Sven Botman is not in your team of the year, your team of the year is ineligible for consideration. Absolutely ineligible. Same goes for Gamerish. Those two have been outstanding. 
Saints, I think it's over. Four games left, seven points from safety, basically, and facing a, a difficult run. In a way to Forrest, if they could win it, it would give them a chance, and it probably condemns Forrest, but I think Forrest will beat them. Fulham at home, I think they'll win that, but I don't fancy them to beat Brighton away, and I don't think they'll beat Liverpool at home on the final day. So I think Southampton are going down, which will lead to a lot of questions of what they do with a lot of their players. I would love to see them sell off your Ward Prouses, your Coletta Cars and Lyankos and Che Adams and Stuart Armstrongs and, and just go full youth movement. Just get in a young development manager. Kieran McKenna would have been ideal, but it looks like he'll be bringing Ipswich up. So find yourself a young manager who can develop players. There's an amazingly talented group of young players there. If they could clear out some of the older players who have let them down repeatedly this season, they're going down because the older players haven't performed, not because of the young players. They're going down because James Ward-Prowse hasn't turned up this season. You can show, show me all the goals and assist numbers you want. Show me what he's done from open play. He's been hopeless. They're going down because Theo Walcott can't score enough goals, because Che Adams can't score enough goals, because Stuart Armstrong can't score enough goals, because El Yanassi can't score enough goals. They're going down because Bednarak makes too many mistakes, because Coletta Carr makes too many mistakes, because Lyanko makes too many mistakes. That's why they're going down. And they're going down, obviously, because they appointed Nathan Jones as manager and the guy isn't fit to manage your local Tesco. Um, With respect to all Tesco managers, you would do a better job managing a football club than he would doing your job. So uh, let's move on. Uh, Liverpool 4, Spurs nil, the dumbest game ever played. I've talked about it on the Daily Red. Not going to get into it again here. Uh, Jones, Diaz and Salah put Liverpool up 3-0 3-0 after 15 minutes. Then Liverpool soiled themselves. Kane scored on 40. It, that could have been one of three goals they scored before half-time. Uh, they could have scored a couple more early in the second half. Then Sun scored on 77. Richarlison scored on 90. And Diogo Jota scored on 94 minutes to give Liverpool the win. Uh, a very relieving win. A win they needed and ruin Richarlison's day, which is the most important thing of all of it, is to ruin his day, because uh, he's a wholly unlikable individual who has a tattoo of himself on his back. Um, Yeah, Liverpool win. Liverpool are fifth. They'll be in the Europa League spots next season. Spurs are sixth. And like I said, they've got the easier run in over Villa. I think Brighton will jump them, though. Having three games in hand should give Brighton the advantage. Now, Brighton have some tough games, but they also have winnable games. I, I think they'll beat United at Brighton. I think they'll beat Everton. I think they could take a point from Arsenal. I think they'll lose to Newcastle. They'll beat Southampton. They could take a point off City. It won't matter. City will have the title wrapped up. But they could take a point And... I wouldn't be surprised if they went and got a point at Villa Park. I think Brighton will get a Europa League spot. At worst, a Conference League spot. So I think Spurs are battling with Villa for the other spot. And final game that we've had so far then. Last night, utter chaos at the King Tower. 
Calvert-Lewin scores on 15 from the penalty spot after a stupid foul by Castanier brought down Calvert-Lewin. Sayanchu equalised on 22 minutes, uh, a header back across by Woot Face. Sayanchu finishes. <clears throat> Not exactly the assister and goal scorer anyone was backing. Vardy makes it 2-1 on 33. And at this point, you thought Leicester are going to wallop them here because Everton are literally falling apart. Seamus Coleman's had to go off after a horror tackle by Samare. Hopefully that's not a not a very, very serious injury. Uh, it could well be the last time we see Coleman in an Everton jersey, which would be a shame. But I do have a feeling if they go down, I reckon he might stay for, for peanuts. I reckon he might do a pay-as-you-play kind of deal where he's also a coach and he does his badges. I think he'll want to be part of the fight to come back up because I think he, he does care a lot about the club and he's been Seamus Coleman has been I would say Everton's best player of the Premier League era when we look at the entire body of work he's been there since 2009 they paid 60 grand for him he's made 409 appearances 60 grand and he was 21 when he came over. It's not like he was a, a 17 or 18-year-old. He was 21 coming over. He's gone on to make 409 appearances. He's been captain for years. There was a spell where he was the best right-back in the league. Um, I, I think he goes down as, a, as an absolute hero at Everton, one of, their, one of their greatest ever. Maybe their best ever right-back. I'd, I'd need to do some, some digging on that. But they've had some, some other good players in that position. But... Yeah, a, a tremendous, tremendous player who overcame a horrible leg break while playing for Ireland against Wales back in 2017. And he was never quite the same player, but he's never dropped in terms of effort and attitude. And, and I, I hugely admire um, everything about Seamus Coleman. I really do. Um, yeah, so Vardy makes it two. Then... James Madison gets the opportunity to make a three from the penalty spot. It is a rubbish penalty. Absolutely rubbish. Straight down the middle. Pickford didn't need to move. Penalty saved. Penalty missed. And on we go. Iwobi made a 2-2 on 54. To give Everton the share of the spoils. Now, both sides missed a bunch of chances in this game. Both keepers made great saves. Pickford made a couple of great saves. Uh, Iverson Iverson made a couple of great saves. Calvert-Lewin missed one of the sitters of the season. Everton will probably argue they deserved the win. I think a draw was probably the fair result on balance. But there was a spell in that first half where I did think Leicester were going to just absolutely tear them apart. I think Leicester will regret that. But Leicester are outside the bottom three. Everton are not. Everton are second from bottom Nine, 29 points from 34 games. Leicester are 16th, 30 points from 34 games. Let's go through these. Everton, Brighton away next, defeat. City home, defeat. Wolves away, if we're being kind, a point. Bournemouth home will give them three points. That's four points for Everton, which would get them to 33 points. They have a better goal difference than Forest, but a worse goal difference than Leeds. 
and a worse goal difference than Leicester. Now, like I've said, I don't think Leeds will take a point from the next four games, but let's say we give them let's say we give them a win over Spurs in the final day. Because I think that's the one game. West Ham away, they could maybe go and win because West Ham aren't very good. But West Ham in the position they're in, I think the Hammers will beat them. City will beat them and Newcastle will beat them. Let's say we give them a win. That's going to put them on 33 points like Everton. Then it comes down to goal difference between the two. The other two teams in this, obviously, are Leicester and Forest. Leicester have fallen away. I think that's winnable. Then they have Liverpool at home. I think they lose. They go to Newcastle, they lose. And then West Ham on the final day of the season. At home. I'm going to give them four points. I think a draw against Fulham and a win over West Ham. So that's thirty-three. That's 34 points. So that will keep them up by the skin of their teeth. We'll also keep West Ham in the division even if they lose every other game because I've got Everton and Leeds on 33 and goal difference separating them. So then the question is Nottingham Forest. Well, Forest have 30 points. I think they'll beat Southampton on Monday night. And then based on my projections, they'd only need one point from the last three games. But if they don't get it, they will go down because they've got a worse goal difference than both Leeds and Everton. So Chelsea away, Arsenal home. Now the title could be gone and maybe Arsenal just give up and and come really flat and maybe Forrest can get something. But Palace away, I think, is a potential point. So I'm going to give them four points. I think we end up with Leicester and... (coughs) Excuse me. I think we end up with a bottom five of Leicester in 16th, Forest in 17th, Leeds in 18th, Everton in 19th, and Southampton in 20th. I think that's what we end up with. The table as it stands goes City, Arsenal, Newcastle, United, Liverpool, Spurs, Villa, Brighton, Brentford, Fulham, Palace, Chelsea, Bournemouth, Wolves, West Ham, Leicester, Leeds, Forest, Everton and Southampton. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we will have a quick look at tonight's game. We previewed it on Friday, but we'll have a quick look at tonight's game. We'll do the news. We'll do the gossip and we'll be done. I will see you in a sec. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. 
The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Right, welcome back. So, tonight we have one Premier League match. It is Arsenal versus Chelsea. And all the pressure sits on Arsenal. They have been usurped at the top of the Premier League. They are now looking up at Man City. They're in the worst run of form all season. Four games without a win. But fortunately for them, they're about to take on a Chelsea team who are in abysmal form, managed by an abysmal manager, with no belief in themselves, no tactical plan, and no real hope of anything. Uh, Arsenal go into the game with no Tomiyasu, no Saliba, and no Elneny, whereas Chelsea have no Brogia, no Koulibaly, no Mount, no Kukurea, no James, and no Bettinelli. Is it fair to say if Arsenal don't win... They might as well just give up. They'd then be either level on points or a point behind. They'd be second either way. City would have the two games in hand. City have the easier run in. It would be looking like season over for Arsenal, which would be disappointing for them. Now, we need to put to bed the idea that if Manchester United finished third, with just the League Cup, they'll have had a better season than Arsenal, finishing second with no trophy. That wouldn't be the case at all. However, if United were to win the Cup double, then you know that is a better season than Arsenal. Without question, it is a better season than Arsenal. They went around further than in the same European competition as well. So I think United at that point would have a, a real say that they'd had a better season. I don't expect United to win the Cup final, the FA Cup final. I think City will beat them in that. So as things stand, I don't see a situation where Arsenal are going to have had a worse season than United. I think they have overachieved this year. They have exceeded their own expectations. The goal for this year was top four. However, the flip side to that is, I'm not going to have Arsenal fans say the season was a success. Because... While, yes, it has been a success based on what you thought pre-season, you did then spend like 30 weeks of the season telling us all you were winning the league, telling us all that Arteta was going to match Klopp's Premier League uh, legacy and win a league title. 
So that all happened. That all hasn't been forgotten. And when you get as close as you guys got, which was, you know, eight points clear. Admittedly, City had the game in hand, but eight points clear with nine, ten games left. You have thrown it away. You've had three bad results followed by a whooping at City. You threw away two goal leads against a bad Liverpool team and a bad West Ham and then drew it home to the worst team in the league. So while City have relentlessly just worn you down and caught you, you have given them the opportunity to catch you. You have failed when the pressure hit. And that's a concern because last season you failed when the pressure hit as well. I expect Arsenal to win tonight. I don't think it'll be comfortable. But with Arsenal, they could be three up in 15 minutes and it could be game over. But it wouldn't take much for Chelsea to rattle them. And I really do want to see Chelsea go one up and just see how Arsenal react. Because it's a different thing reacting when you're winning consistently. When you haven't won in four games and all of a sudden you go behind at home, in a late kickoff, in front of a full home house, under the lights, the mood can start to change quite quickly. And given Arsenal have had this bad few weeks here, I think the crowd could get a little antsy, could get a little a little moany. So we'll see. I expect Arsenal to win the game, though. Uh, I don't remember what prediction I made at the weekend uh, on Friday. I know I predicted an Arsenal win, um, but I, so I'm going to stick with that. Uh, we'll move on then to the news. And Leeds United have announced that Victor Orta has left the club by mutual consent. Um, it's about time is my first thought on this. He is not good at his job. I'm not sure why it took so long to get rid of him. The only truly great move that he made was bringing in Bielsa. Uh, A lot of his transfers haven't really worked out. He also oversaw arguably the worst transfer in history in Jean-Kevin Augustine, where Leeds paid $40 to not have a player. It's the right move. Now, there is also talk, speculation, that Javi Gracia is going to get sacked, the caretaker slash interim manager. And the name in the frame to replace him, Big Sam. Sam Allardyce potentially coming out of retirement to join Roy Hodgson in what would be, I think, the seventh Jurassic Park movie. Um, Sam has a reputation, of course, as a as a firefighter, as a guy that you bring in and he keeps you up. And, you know, there's been occasions where he has done that. But the last time Frank was called upon to come in and, and keep a team up, was we- oh, sorry, Sam was called upon to keep a team up, was, was West Ham. Uh, sorry, was West Brom. And um, he, he didn't. He, he won four of his 26 games and walked away before the season was over. Um, that's the only job he's had in the last five years. Prior to that, he was at Everton. They were staying up anyway. He kept them up. 
Uh, prior to that, he did a similar job at Crystal Palace. Prior to that, he did a similar job with Sunderland and left for the England job, where he lasted one game. I mean, this is his last three jobs. Now, the question is, how close to relegation were those three clubs? How close to relegation were Sunderland in the 15-16 season? My memory tells me pretty close. Yeah, they were... They were 19th when he took over. So we give Sam full credit for keeping them in the division. Uh, Crystal Palace, 16-17. I may have already done this before. I, I think I did, but we'll have a look anyway. Uh, Big Sam takes over on the 23rd of December. Based on the results, I'm guessing they were in a bad, bad spot. Uh, they played 17 games. They were 17th, and he kept them up, finishing in 14th. Now, <clears throat> important to point out here, in the January, he did spend a lot of money. He brought in Jeff Schlupp, Patrick Van Anhold, and Luka Milivojevic. Funnily enough, Schlupp and Milivojevic are still there. Van Anhold is the best player of the three. Um, and he's the one that's gone. They also brought in Mamadou Sacco on loan. So they spent, and they, I think they paid four or five million to bring him in on loan that year. They spent a lot of money to keep that team up. What did he spend at Sunderland? No doubt, significant money. He took over October 5th. Uh, October 5th, they had played uh, eight games. Yeah, they were 19th. To be fair, though, he took over really early, so... He did get the vast majority of the season. Uh, transfers. January. Kershaw, Harper, Kone, Kazri, Ibue, and Endoy. Significant spend there for Sunderland. Uh, then Everton, of course. 17-18. Everton were having themselves a rotten season under Ronald Koeman. They sacked him. They put David Unsworth in charge. And he really did turn things around. So Koeman was sacked on the 23rd of October. Nine games in. They were in 18th position. But Sam didn't take over till the 30th of November. Which was 14 games in. And they were 13th. So they weren't in relegation trouble when he took over. They had pulled themselves out of it. Uh, he also spent a lot of money. He brought in Cenk Tusen and Theo Walcott for $50 million. He also brought in Alikium Mangala on loan. Uh, he spent about $50 million. So Sam has bought his way out of trouble, generally. They're the three kind of relegation survival specialist jobs that he's done uh two of them weren't really in relegation trouble and one of them he got nearly the whole season so it's maybe a bit of a myth that he does this but i don't fancy leads to stay up I'll, I'll say that and leave it there it's the right decision to sack victor orta though he did a terrible job uh so leads fans chris says should have got Allardyce months ago. May have left it too late, but Big Sam it will be the ideal manager to get Leeds back up. 
Big Sam in the championship. Appointing Allardyce at this stage seems a desperate measure and more unlikely to be successful. Uh, It is far too late to change the course of the season. Left it too late, but if anyone can save us, Sam can. Leeds shouldn't be looking at Allardyce at all. Did nothing with West Brom and had longer to sort them out. Fully agree. Should be looking at Graham Potter. Fully agree. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just think it's... I think it's the wrong move, to be honest. I really do think it's the wrong move to bring in someone like him. There's a bit of analysis done here on the Chelsea squad. Um, I think it's quite poor, this analysis, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, it's it's done there on the BBC website if you want to read it. We'll do the gossip and we'll get done for the day. Uh, starting with Saturdays, Manchester United will make a move for Neymar if the Qatari bid led by Sheikh Jassim is successful. I don't believe a single word of that, but when you think about it logically, maybe it is true. So think about it this way. Sheikh Jassim doesn't have nearly enough money to buy Manchester United, not even close. His reported net worth is like $1.5 billion dollars. The purchase price of the club will be over £5 billion. So that money is coming from somewhere, likely from the Qatari government, who also own PSG, and maybe they'd just like to get Neymar off their books and get some money back into PSG. So it could make sense. I think Jim Radcliffe is going to end up with the club, though. Uh, Dortmund and England midfielder Jude Bellingham has opted to join Real Madrid, but the deal is not done. Don't believe a word of it. Tottenham are expected to receive a bid from Chelsea for Harry Kane. It's talk sport. It's probably trash. Spurs chairman Daniel Levy is adamant he won't sell Kane to Manchester United or Chelsea, with the Red Devils having Victor Osman and Dusan Vlahovic on their list of alternatives. It just feels like these are the names that go around and no one actually knows what any club wants to do. Gareth Bale has turned down a plea from Rob Reynolds and Rob McElhenney to join their club on the, in the return to the Football League. That's a shame. I, I, I would have hoped he would have done it. Brighton are preparing to make a move for James Milner, who's had a contract this summer. I've seen some people say it would make sense if he wants to go and play more. He'd play less for them. He wouldn't play nearly as much as he has at Liverpool. The move for him is Burnley. He'll play plenty, not as a starter, but he'll be a squad player for them. And his, one of his closest friends is their manager. They're also interested. I think that's where he ends up. I don't see James Miller going to Brighton. I don't see him going that far south. Uh, Chelsea are looking for a part exchange for Andre Onana. But the Italian club Inter Milan have no interest in Kepa. They do admire Trevor Chalaba and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, though. Chalaba would make sense. Not sure Loftus-Cheek makes a whole lot of sense for them. In their current setup with the other players they have. I do think he'd do well in Serie A, though. Chelsea would prefer to sell Matteo Kovacic to a club outside the Premier League with Thomas Tuchel interested in a reunion at Bayern Munich. Liverpool and Arsenal have both prepared offers for Mason Mount, who has yet to agree terms on a new contract at Stamford Bridge. I spoke to somebody over the weekend who is adamant that Ch- that Arsenal believe they can get Mount and Rice, that that's what they want to do in the summer, is get Mason Mount and Declan Rice and pair them up in midfield with Martin Odegaard. 
So we'll we'll wait and see how that one works. Um, Arsenal are considering a move for N'Golo Kante. Zero chance he'd go there. West Ham midfielder Declan Rice is there is Arsenal's main transfer target and can be the club's new Patrick Vieira. That's wonderful. He's nothing like Vieira and he's not fit to lace his boots. Kylian Mbappe is trying to encourage Randall Colomuani to join the club this season, this summer. He would make sense. I, I think Mbappe does play better with a traditional nine and Muani can fill that role. Liverpool are closely monitoring Renato Sanchez. No, they're not. Jonathan David is expected to leave Lille this summer and has alerted a number of clubs like Tottenham, Chelsea and PSG. I think he'd make a lot of sense at Chelsea, to be honest. Uh, Arsenal could sign Luis Openda, although Aston Villa are also keen. Yeah, he's a different type of striker to what they have, but uh, is he different enough to make it worthwhile? Arsenal, sorry, Everton are planning a move for Tyrese Campbell of Stoke this summer. Arsenal, Newcastle and Aston Villa have all scouted Ivan Fresneda. He's spoken highly of Arsenal in the past. Newcastle and Crystal Palace are set to miss out on the signing of Callum Adamson from Rangers. He's going to sign a professional contract with the Glasgow club. Uh, Moving on. Bayern Munich are interested in Ollie Watkins as an alternative to Harry Kane, might I suggest, Ivan Tony, lads. I think he'd fit a lot better into how you play. Uh, Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag has told the club that signing a striker should be the priority this summer. Um, yeah, it, it probably should be one of their priorities. They've probably got a couple of others, though. Kyle Walker wants to stay at Man City despite limited game time and interest from Aston Villa and AC Milan. Well, you see, if you leave City, you don't get the extra payments from Abu Dhabi. Um, Newcastle and Man City have pulled out of the race for Mason Mount with a 24-year-old England midfielder expected to leave Stamford Bridge this summer. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure he will leave. But I think if he does leave, yeah, it's it's Liverpool or it's Arsenal. And if Arsenal sign Rice, I do think that makes sense. Uh, Arsenal are still keen to sign Mount, which would mean could mean the end of their interest in Declan Rice. They're very different players. I don't know why it would mean the end of their interest. Arsenal will listen to offers for Kieran Tierney, Granit Xhaka and Fowler and Balogun. I don't think they'll sell Xhaka after this season. He's had a really good season. Aston Villa are interested in Organ Koku from Feyenoord. He's really, really good. He'd be a great signing for them. Inter Milan are planning a move for Tosin Adarabayo, who has just over a year left on his contract at Craven Cottage. I, I was of the opinion or the mindset that he was uh, out of contract this summer, unless they had a club option. Yeah, they had a club option that they, they picked up. Otherwise, he would have been free this summer. That's a shame, because he would have had more control. But if I'm Fulham, I'm trying to keep him, because I think he's I think he's a good defender. Tottenham and AC Milan are vying for the signature of Alan St-Maximum, but the Magpies want £50 million. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Harry Maguire fears he will have to leave Manchester United with the defender concerned about losing his England place. I mean, he hasn't been a United regular all season. He's still first choice. So I think you're okay, Harry. Arsenal are interested in Mark Gwehi as they seek improved cover from Will- for William Saliba. Mark Gwehi's not going anywhere. He's not first choice. 
Juventus are considering hiring Igor Tudor if Max Allegri leaves. Um, I, I, I just, I don't think he's a particularly good man. I don't think he's a bad manager. I just don't think he's the type of manager you can appoint if you Juventus. Now he's done a really good job at Marseille, to his credit. I just, I feel like they need to aim higher. You Juventus, like. Max Allegri is, is a better manager than Tudor. He's just a boring manager. You've got to find someone Allegri level or better if Allegri walks this summer. Uh, Julian Timber has confirmed his plan. He plans to leave the club this, uh, leave, leave Ajax this summer. Um, United and Liverpool have been linked. Will Saha is open to move to Marseille. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Palace have former Newcastle target Matthias Franke on their radar. Uh, although he has a huge buyout clause, Palace could tempt Flamengo with a fifteen million offer this summer. Dean Henderson wants to move away from Manchester United permanently this summer, with the England shotstopper keen to play regularly. I mean, he didn't play particularly well when he went to Forest, so I'm not sure. I, I, there will be interest in him. I'm just not sure how how many clubs would be lining up to sign him. Liverpool have opened talks with Sporting Lisbon over a move for Manuel Ugarte. Leeds, Spurs and Villa also interested. Man City and Brentford are in talks to sign AFC Wimbledon goalkeeper Torsten Britz, uh, who's an under-16 goalkeeper. Um, Be interested to see where he ends up. He's been talked of quite uh, quite highly. Chelsea are planning to hire... Transfer guru Paul Mitchell, who has worked with Mauricio Pochettino on two occasions in preparation for a mass summer overhaul of their squad. See, the thing is, they need someone that's an expert at selling players, and I don't know that that's Paul Mitchell. And They don't need to buy that many players. Chelsea and Aston Villa have joined Newcastle in the race to sign Stephen McMullen, an 18-year-old Northern Irish goalkeeper who made his debut for Fleetwood at the weekend. Man United, Newcastle United and Liverpool are all interested in Jean-Claire Tadibo from Nice this summer. Um, he's a pretty good defender. He'd make sense for Liverpool as a backup to Canate. Uh, let's keep going then. Man City are preparing to open talks with Erling Haaland over a new contract. He will end up earning over a million quid a week off a new contract without question. They'll claim it's 500 or 600 grand a week, but we all know how City's contract works. Uh, Crystal Palace and Ivory Coast attacker Wilfred Zaha is attracting interest from Arsenal, Juventus, Chelsea and Barcelona. Chelsea would be stupid to do that. You've got enough wingers. Chelsea are confident Mason Mount will turn down approaches from Bayern Munich and Liverpool and sign a new contract. Dusan Vlahovic has been offered to Arsenal and Bayern Munich. He'd be great for Bayern. He really would. Leicester will sell James Madison this summer, summer, even if they avoid relegation. He's only got a year left in his contract. He's not going to sign a new one. They have to sell him. Manchester United and Paris Saint-Germain sent scouts to watch Tammy Abraham at the weekend. He would make sense for United. He wouldn't excite the fan base. They'd probably have some tantrums and get the Norwich flag, uh, scarves out. But I think he'd do quite well there. He's a line-leading number nine, which is what they need. Uh, Roma are considering a move for Yuri Tielemans. You could see that. You could definitely see that. Zinedine Zidane is keen on a return to management with Juventus, PSG and Marseille all linked. 
Chelsea are among the Premier League sides monitoring Stevenage's 16-year-old English centre-forward, McKees Evans. If he's got good advisors around him, they'll tell him not to do that. Newcastle are considering a move for Paolo Dybala. I don't believe for a second that they are. Sheffield United are set to extend the contract of Ollie McBurney after securing promotion to the Premier League. Ollie McBurney, in my opinion, is a player who's not good enough for the Premier League, but kind of too good for the Championship. Um, In his time in the Premier League, in the 16-17 season, five goals, five, sorry, five games, no goals. In 17-18, 11 games, no goals. In 19-20, 36 games, six goals. In 2021, 23 games, one goal. Uh, Not exactly a Premier League player. In the Championship, he's done well, as in two of his last three seasons there. 22 and 42 for Swansea. 12 and 36 this season. Not great, but pretty good. And his all-round play was pretty good. Last season, he stank. Zero goals in 28 games. I wouldn't be extending his contract if I was them. I'd be looking to sell him to another Championship team and come up without him and use that money to get somebody else. Uh, Manchester United are interested in Ashraf Hakimi. Given the recent um, allegations, we'll call them, around Ashraf Hakimi, I would suggest United might want to swerve that one, considering, considering the Cristiano stuff, Considering the Mason Greenwood stuff, I'd probably consider not signing him. Now, I think he's an amazing player, but until he's cleared his name, then I would suggest that that's not a smart move by Manchester United. Uh, Chelsea have been linked with Sadio Mane. No chance they sign that he goes there. Al-Nazir are monitoring Alex Tellez. I mean, okay. Uh, And then the final day's gossip is here. It is uh, Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta wants to hold talks with Declan Rice as soon as the season ends. The Gunners are considering a move for Mark Wehi. Chelsea are moving closer to appointing Mauricio Pochettino. I think that's one we can expect to get done. Inter Milan are willing to sell Latour Martinez. I mean, this is not reporting. This is garbage. Inter Milan are willing to sell everybody if they get the right offer. So Fraser Fletcher is, as we know, a spoofer, so I wouldn't put anything to that. Um, Tammy Abraham to United. Aston Villa are confident of agreeing a deal to sign Abraham. I mean, he's been there before. He did really well there before. I'd prefer they sign Ivan Tony if they're going to sign an out-and-out nine, because I think Tony is the one that would work better with, with Watkins, but Certainly, Abraham and Watkins I could see working as well. Uh, so Jim Radcliffe's bid for majority stake in Manchester United includes him taking immediate control of transfers if a deal is agreed. The agent of Anzu Fati has ensured the Spanish club he will secure a seventy million offer for the twenty-year-old this summer. No, he won't. Not a chance. Um, Mar- Manchester United are pushing to sign Randall Colomuani. He-, he again would fit really well there. 
Final boss Arnie Slot has emerged as a serious contender along with Julian Nagelsmann to become Spurs' next manager. Slot is really good. Tottenham and Newcastle are among the clubs willing to see what price at Hampton will set. Sorry, waiting to see what price at Hampton will set for James Ward-Prowse. He's had a rotten season. Spurs would be mad to sign him. He doesn't get in their team. Newcastle, I could see it because, you know, Eddie Howe loves himself an overpriced English player. Manchester City will not deny Bernardo Silva a move away from the club if he decides he wants to leave this summer. Roy Hodgson believes Steve Parrish should be worried about other clubs being interested in Michael Elise. So do I. Following Balligan will hold talks with Arsenal this summer before deciding his future. Arsenal's 19-year-old English midfielder Charlie Patino, who spent the season on loan at Blackpool, is expected to leave the club this summer. I'm kind of shocked by this because I think he's the best young player they've got. And some people have said he's the most talented young player to ever come through their academy. Uh, He doesn't turn 20 until October. He's a lovely midfielder. Really comfortable on the ball. Good off the ball. Super, super talented. I, I don't know why Arsenal wouldn't be saying to him, look, next season you're going to get plenty of games in that role that Granit Xhaka has been in this season. And we think that's the role for you. Because it is. In Arteta's current system, that role is tailor-made for Charlie Patino. Chelsea Academy staff could quit the club if several homegrown players are sold this summer. Well, that's rather bizarre. Right, that's it. That's all I've got today, folks. Thanks, as always. I will see you tomorrow. Enjoy tonight's game. And uh, I have Guy back tomorrow, which is great. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.